Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And if you're watching on video, you can probably see that I'm not in my podcast studio. I'm actually in Southern California. I About a week ago, the day after the Unshaken conference, I came to visit my mom, and turns out she needed some help. Uh, medically with her health and some health issues she's having, but she's doing great. And I'm here with her, giving her a hand. So I wasn't able to record a brand new episode for you this week, but I've been waiting for the right opportunity to publish a conversation that I had about a year ago that I really wanted my podcast audience to hear. And so many of you are familiar with Melissa Doherty, who is come out of the new age or more specifically new thought. And a while back, I asked Melissa if she could review the book Untamed. Now, if you've listened to my podcast for a long time, you know that I've read that book. I've reviewed that book. And I suspected there were some close connections to new age, but I didn't know enough about new age to really make those connections myself. So I said, Melissa, will you read the book and let's have a conversation. So I actually went on her podcast about a year ago and we conversed about the book and I just thought it was so insightful. I love Melissa. If you're not following her, make sure you follow her, Melissa Doherty on YouTube. And I'm excited to bring you this conversation today. So without any further ado, here's Melissa Doherty. Uh, hi, guys. I'm so, so thankful today to bring you this interview with my good friend, Elisa Childers. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. If you haven't heard about her channel or her book, uh, her channel is going to be in the description and her book is called Another Gospel. It's about progressive Christianity and it tells the story about how, how her faith almost got hijacked by progressive Christianity. And if you have questions about that or want to look into it more, I can suggest no better person uh, for that topic than Elisa Childers. Today, I've asked her on to talk about a rather sensitive topic. And to be honest, it gets a fire in both of our bellies. This is a topic that is very near and dear to, but I'm sure both of our hearts. She's talked about it numerous, numerous times on her channel. Um, but we're going to talk about the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Uh, she's already talked about this book a few times on her channel, so we probably won't get too much into uh, the topics that she's already covered as to not be repetitive. But what I really want to talk with Elisa today about is about the, the self, the meology that this type of thinking and teaching brings, not just within our culture, but within the church. Alisa, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today about this topic. Well, I've been excited about this, Melissa, because as you mentioned, I've talked about this on my podcast. I actually reviewed this book for the Gospel Coalition. I reviewed it on a video on my YouTube channel, and I love the way we got to connect over this because 
there's certain expertise that you have that I don't, that I had a hunch when I was reading the book, I thought, you know, there's, there's some ideas emerging here that really seem new age, but I didn't know enough about the new age. So I, I remember texting you or something and saying, Hey, can you read this section? What does this sound like to you? And then you kind of like, all right, I think I'm going to read the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so now we will discuss our findings. So, yeah. and that was a while ago too. It wasn't until around this year. And I, I told you this before we got on, there was a woman that I was talking to at church that was talking about this book. And I, I, I was at that point that I'm like, man, I, okay, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to read this book. And it was actually difficult to get through. There was certain aspects of the book that I actually liked. I agreed with, I think Glennon Doyle is a brilliant author. I think the She's way, a very good writer. Yeah. Yes. I, I liked the way that she wrote and of course, there's obviously problematic things in there. And for those of you watching, if you've never heard of this book, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, it's by, uh, I believe Glennon was a, she was a Christian blogger, correct, Elisa? Yeah, she had a blog called The Momastery. Oh, wow. which was a hugely popular, um, like, you know, what they call Christian mommy blog back mm -hmm. in when, you know, that blogging uh, phase was so popular. Um, and then she, she was writing books and got successful, went on Oprah. I think sub, a couple of her books were selected for the Oprah Book Club. So she had a lot of success even before Untamed. I believe that the first time I ever heard of her was, uh, it was when her book came out. And what people were raving about was that she was a Christian. And that these mm -hmm. ideas that she uh, espoused in this book were completely uh, just topsy-turvy. And the book does tell of her journey out of basically uh, what she would consider like a cage, you know, a, a religious oppressive type of belief and how she came out of that. She's untamed now, you know, and uh, I remember, I believe it was uh, in the beginning of the book, she's talking about, you know, a caged cheetah, you know, that we're uh, to, to eventually free ourselves from these bonds of oppressive religion or misogyny, whatever the case may be. And even so, there were still some things written in her book that resonated with me. But as somebody that kind of used to share a lot of her beliefs, I look back on it now and I think if you were to follow through with some of the beliefs that she's espousing in this book, the end game is not pretty. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of what we were, again, what we were talking about before we get on or before we got on is that if you were to follow through with a lot of the things that she was talking about in the book, when it comes to following yourself, basically following your feelings, making yourself it, your own God, essentially is, exactly. is what the thesis of the book almost literally is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what it reminds me of uh, personally when I was reading it, and then I would like to get your thoughts on uh, more about this me-centric theology is uh, it reminded me a lot of Pleasure Island in Pinocchio. Do you remember that scene? Yes. Yes, that's right. Yes. And uh, it kept coming to me as I'm reading it because it's like a happily ever after type of thing. Whenever we read books like this. And it reminds me of somebody's social media feed. All you're seeing is the good stuff, right? Mm. About how I'm free. And uh, there's always this release, right? Where people feel more free. And it reminds me of Pleasure Island. And if you're not familiar with that scene in Pinocchio, it's where, uh, you know, these, these quick talking salesmen basically come along and they try to lure little boys, you know, children to pleasure Island. They say, all of your pleasures will be met here. You can have anything and everything you want. You will want for nothing. In fact, this will free you. 
this will give you everything you've ever looked for. And they believe them and they go. And eventually, the longer that they're there at Pleasure Island, they, uh, they change into donkeys and then they become enslaved. Mm. And it's like, uh, I believe it, it was you, you said that uh, it's like trading in one cage for another. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, I mean, Christians don't like to talk like this anymore, but it's literally enslaving people to sin. And that's what our lives are like without Christ is we're slaves to sin. And we forget that sometimes because of all these cultural messages that are telling us, hey, you actually have everything you need inside yourself already. There's nothing outside of yourself that you need to become complete or whole. You just need to look inside, dig down, find that pot of gold. But the problem is that if Christianity is true, Mm -hmm. then we are fallen. We are slaves to sin until we repent and put trust in Christ. And that's when we start to become realized aligned with uh, the the way God really created us to be according to his purposes, which is to be in relationship with him and enjoy him forever. But sin is the enemy of that, right? Sin, Mm -hmm. uh, according to this great Old Testament scholar, Jay Sklar, he says, sin is an acid that mars and distorts, I'm paraphrasing, everything it touches. Um, and, And so when we tell people that you're fine just as you are. You just need to follow those good instincts you were born with, right? Follow your heart. Really, we're we're just setting them up to be enslaved to sin. And this is, I, 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 there's a hundred different directions I want to go right now. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to pick one. But I suppose we should give some context because yes. uh, for people who aren't familiar with this book, what you need to know too is this was wildly popular. Um, I believe it was 2020. It was the number one book across all genres. Uh, on Amazon, and I believe on the New York Times. It was New York Times bestseller for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, The only reason that I saw that it got knocked out of that number one spot is we had the George Floyd incident, and then lots of other books that were sort of addressing topics that were surrounding issues of race and racial, racial justice and relations. Those started coming up to the top and and that's when her book got knocked out. But I'm telling you up until that point, this was the number one book people were reading in America. Reese Witherspoon has lauded it. Um, uh, Adele, the singer said something like, when I read this book, it was this up, if I flew back into my body for the first time. Uh, There are celebrities praising this book. Lots of people in the progressive Christian realm are praising this book. So this is is not something that's on the fringe. This Mm -hmm. is really, in my view, the expression of progressive Christianity in its most broad uh, influence, right? This is the broadest way that progressive Christianity is influencing people and in the book. So I'll, I'll say this, mm-hmm. uh, cause I, I, again, I have so much to say, I know, yeah. but <laughs> it's like, there's so much, but, um, in the book, when I said that the thesis of the book is almost quite literally to make yourself your own God, I don't really mean that figuratively. Um, in the book regularly, she, speaks of the self with a capital S. And there are two or three times in the book when she refers to what she would call God and the self synonymously, almost in the same sentence. And so this is not something that I'm just sort of reading into it. In fact, I want to read to you from the very ending of the book and the epilogue called Human. This is at the very end. She references a passage from scripture and the reference has to do with Moses at the burning bush when God announced himself as I am. And then 
to end the book, she says, what are you, Glennon? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you a Christian? Are you a heretic? Are you a believer, a doubter? And she goes through this long list of things. Are you this? Are you that? And then at the end, she says three times, I am, I am, I am. That's how the book ends in the context of God saying that about himself. And then how that connects even to the bulk of the book is, as you know, Melissa, there's a scene where she talks about being in her closet and learning to sink lower and lower. And she finally finds this, what she calls the knowing, and that's spelled with a capital K, I think very intentionally. And it's interesting at one point she even says, you know, what if it's just, or her, her uh, Abby, the, the woman she left her husband for says to her, what if you find out that it's just, you know, you're just talking to yourself down there. And Glennon's response to that is essentially, well, whatever you want to call it, it you know, God, self. And she said, another friend calls it Sebastian. <laughs> you know, it's like, it is funny. It's a funny <laughs> book. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever you want to call it, that's what I'm following. I'm following that knowing. And so there's no mistaking that she is preaching a gospel of self. This is even beyond just meology, making things about God, about yourself. She's essentially saying you are God. And uh, so I know that might sound shocking to some Christians, but it's done in such a subtle way. Mm -hmm. And like we said, with so much humor, amazing writing, great storytelling. And then I'll say one more thing and throw it back to you. But the one thing that really struck me about this book as I was reading it, Melissa, was that in so many of the progressive Christian books that I read, there's a lot of tearing down of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So they're deconstructing Christianity all the time. Every, just about every progressive Christian book I read is doing that. And they might patchwork, put some things in its place. Uh, you know, if you're going to not believe anymore that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, well, here's a way you can look at it. So there might be like a patchwork worldview. What Glennon Doyle does brilliantly is create from you an entire worldview to put in its place after she deconstructs it. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, there, and this is where the new age part of it comes in because there's everything from life after death. There's what do we do with the concept of sin? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's wrong with the world? How do we fix it? All those big worldview questions, she's actually giving you a worldview to put in the place of the one she just tore down. And so I think that's why it's so attractive to people because whatever instinct they have to reject Christianity, she's giving them this whole other thing they can grab onto and go, okay, good. I, I don't have to live with nothing. I, I can put this in its place. Well, I hope you're enjoying this conversation. I'm going to hit the pause button for a moment and tell you about today's sponsor, and that's Good Ranchers. I love Good Ranchers. Highest quality meat you can imagine, delivered right to your doorstep, frozen, ready to throw in your freezer and thaw out when you're ready to cook it up. I love Good Ranchers. I love that they don't use hormones or antibiotics. It's all grass-fed beef. Uh, raised and harvested here in America. May is a great month to subscribe to Good Ranchers because you're going to get $30 off your first order if you use the code ALISA. And also you're going to lock in your price for two years. Your price is guaranteed to not go up for two years if you subscribe in the month of May. So go to GoodRanchers.com, use the code ALISA for $30 off your first box. And let me know what you think. Leave a comment if you use Good Ranchers. Tell us what you think about it. GoodRanchers.com, use the code ALISA for $30 off your first box. Exactly. And we talked about this before we got on too, about, um, because your, your, your wheelhouse is progressive Christianity. Mine's new age. They're, they're 
like two different trees, but man, they come together. There's, there's an element of intertwining there where I'm learning that it's, you can't undo it. Uh, Richard Rohr is a great example of this. I would have loved Richard Rohr in the new age. And I probably would have espoused to most, if not all his teachings, because I already believed them. And I believed it to be like a higher metaphysical level of Christianity. You could have your Christianity, but here is the pure, real part of it. And it's super spiritual. And I was way more spiritual than like anybody else. I I felt like I could manifest and visualize and make things happen within my universe based on these metaphysical principalities, these these properties of the universe, because I was godlike, because I was powerful. Mm. And I think that that's the aspect of this book that is so appealing is that it's not just, you're right, it's not just self, it's like that on steroids, because it makes you out to be this powerful being. And it's the ideology in this book. It's not just this book. It's this ideology that is espousing everything. It's it's permeating, it's bleeding into everything, including the church. And that's why I have a fire in my belly about this. Mm-hmm. Because it's difficult to express to people why this is such a problem, especially when there's a scripture quoted before mm. you're told these things. And to the, the the average Christian who maybe they're in a sanctification process where they don't maybe know their Bible as well as they should, like maybe they're still learning, they know something's wrong, but they don't know quite what that is. And what they end up doing by accident sometimes is adopting these principles and not realizing how damaging they can be. Mm. And you mentioned something before. I don't quite, oh, the the allure mm. of it. Have you ever, I, I love this analogy, but have you ever seen Indiana Jones in the last crusade? Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. Right. I used to love these movies with my dad. And, and if you haven't seen the ending, I always ruin it for everybody when I use this analogy, but what it reminds me of is at the end of the movie, he's walking into the cave, right? The whole point of the movie is that they're trying to find the Holy grail, uh, which is the cup that Jesus drank out of at the, the last supper. And it's supposed to be the uh, cup that if you drink out of it, it'll give you everlasting life. And he walks into the cave at the end of the movie where it's supposed to be. And instead of just seeing the Holy grail, he sees dozens and dozens and dozens of these golden bejeweled chalices on the wall. And I remember the night he's in the corner and he's like, choose wisely, because if you don't, you're going to (laughs) die. And that's the idea though, is that there's all these shiny options Mm. there. They look beautiful. And he doesn't skip a beat. He's just unimpressed looking at all these. And he's like, something isn't right. This isn't right. And he goes over to this old dirty clay cup. And he's like, now that is the cup of a carpenter. And it looked nothing like the rest. It looked simple. It looked plain. It looked rather ordinary compared to the rest of these shiny goblets that were supposed to Mm. be um, counterfeits. And that's the idea. And that's what this reminds me of is that mm. people drink from this counterfeit goblet of this progressive new age ideology and don't realize that it's fake. Because what if the powers of darkness didn't look dark? It looked like light. It looked like false light. Second uh, mm. Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the devil comes masquerading as light. As if the devil came to us, Elisa, Tell, tell me if the devil came to us 
he would not show up with a pitchfork, a pointy tail, horns, red skin, and say, hey, I'm going to teach you about love in the Bible. You know, no, like we'd be a little sus, right? Like we'd be like, no, this isn't right. Something's off. No, man, he comes to you as Glennon Doyle. That's yeah, man, with a, with a message of love, with mm-hmm. a message of peace, harmony, unity. He comes as a pastor. He mm. comes as Jen Hatmaker. He comes as Richard Rohr. He comes as these people with these messages that are popular because they, they, they sound so good and they sound so appealing. How can that be wrong? And that's mm. what got me was yeah. there's no way that this can be wrong because they talk about love they talk about peace. And I wanted to ask this for you to throw this back at you for a second, because uh, before we got on, we were talking about um, taking the roof off. What is the end game for this mm. type of belief? And you shared some stories that oh, quite honestly broke my heart. And um, this book in particular was read and it kind of uh, shipwrecked some families because they mm. read it and they ended up leaving their spouse. Yeah, I personally know two families. Mm. Uh, and that's just me personally. I, w- I would love to know how m- many more if yeah. that's just what's in my sphere. But I personally know two families where one of the spouses read the book, specifically the book Untamed, and left. Uh, one, the divorce is final. The other one, it's heading that direction. And um, the heart, I can just, because one of them is a very good friend, and the heartbreak the constant and continual utter devastation of lives. I I mean, I'm not exaggerating this at Mm. all. This book breaks up families and ruins lives. Um, My friend and her kids, their lives have been devastated. And the social media presence Mm. of the other side is like, everything's so great now. I'm so free. I, I'm finally living my truth. I'm finally living as my authentic self. Mm. And in the wake of that are destroyed lives. I mean, I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. And you know, you talked about the end game. Mm. That's what the end game of this book is. It's not just a light little message of, oh, you know, if if you want to if you feel like you were oppressed as a woman, you need to start speaking up or, you know, you need to find your voice. That's not mm-hmm. the end game of this mm-hmm. book. And I, I pulled up a, a section of it because this is important for us to understand. Mm-hmm. In this book, she's not just giving that lighter message that will take a lot longer to get to this. She's promoting the end game. So the book as a whole, by the way, for people who are unfamiliar, part of her story is that as this Christian mommy blogger and an author and successful, uh, she ended up falling in love with women's soccer star Abby Wambach and leaving her husband and then marrying Abby Wambach. And so there's that whole element. And this story, this book is essentially, in my view, the story of them meeting and deciding to be together, but it's an apologetic for her decision. That's what the whole book is, is her justifying that decision by making it look like it's the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. And here's what she wrote when she talks about the straw that finally broke the camel's back for her deciding to leave her husband and pursue this um, same-sex relationship with Abby Wambach. Uh, She quotes uh, philosopher Carl Jung, and who said, there's no greater burden on a child than the unlived life of a parent. 
And so she says, what if love is not process is not the process of disappearing for the beloved, but of emerging for the beloved? What if a mother's responsibility is teaching her children that love does not lock the lover away, but frees her? In other words, I've got this, you know, in her mind, I've got this lover inside myself that's been caged away because I want this instead of what I have. And what if I keep that caged and that teaches my children to be in bondage? And she says, uh, what if a responsible mother is not one who shows her children how to slowly die, but how to stay wildly alive until the day she dies? What if the call of motherhood is not to be a martyr, but to be a model? And then she says, right there on the floor, I looked deep into my own eyes. I left the capital K knowing rise and stay. My children do not need me to save them. My children need me to watch. My children need to watch me save myself. And then she has a few more words and she says, I'd divorce Craig because I am a mother and I have responsibilities. Yeah. And the other aspect to it too, is that her husband cheated on her and Mm -hmm. that played a huge part in her feeling like there was more of a justification for right doing that as well. So on her end, there's there was uh, more of her like trying to figure that out as well and going into that. And what I found interesting with her, you know, what's interesting with this whole dynamic of leaving your spouse for somebody else, you know, and it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, for each person in in this aspect, because I mean, if you have a cheating spouse, there's, there's if there's infidelity, there there are some biblical parameters in place. But just I'll make a a quick point before you go on. What's relevant to what I just read, though, is that that wasn't her reason. Her reason was because she wanted this other thing. She wanted to pursue this relationship. And, you know, if it was like a wrestling biblically with her pastor, like, what do I do about this, the infidelity, the continual, I think, infidelity uh, from what I understand. So, I, yes, I definitely want to make sure we acknowledge that, that there are people in situations where there's infidelity yeah. and there are biblical, um, you know, reasons to divorce, certainly. And that's something somebody should work out with their pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the decision here was made more not because of those reasons. It was made because I have this thing locked away and I need to uncage it. Yeah. Yes. And those are two different, I'm glad you um, broke that down because those are two different issues. And what I find interesting in our society, this is very interesting to me and sad is uh, I remember when Bruce Jenner transitioned, everybody applauded him, right? They, they thought, wow, what a brave woman of the year, right? What a brave choice. Nobody looked at his wife and, and thought, wow, she must be hurting. She wasn't allowed to hurt. Right. She was given no space to grieve her husband, leaving her, you know? And uh, I have actually a friend, same situation. Uh, she left her husband because she came out and he's heartbroken. He's absolutely crushed. And there's an element of, of where you are now, there's an almost an incentive in our mm-hmm. culture now to it's incentivized. If if you Mm. fall into this, um, I want to call it an ideology. I keep calling it that, but it is that, uh, you are now open and free to do this no matter who it hurts and it Mm -hmm. will be applauded. 
That's right. And if you are somebody who's being left, it's almost like you're not allowed to feel the way you feel because then you're just some bigot, like some closed minded, mm-hmm. uh, judgmental person for not allowing them to live their truth, even though you've been shipwrecked, you're heartbroken. And I think that that is so heartbreaking that there's not this area for the spouse that is being left, um, in that aspect. And uh, this book kind of it paves the way to allow people for that. And one other thing you mentioned before, and I, I really got a lot out of this because I listened to your video a while ago about this book, your, uh, your review of it, and it was very good. And one thing you, you mentioned was love, this redefinition of love. And this is a, something else that I'm pretty passionate about as well, because What I don't think Christians realize, and this would be a great Bible study, by the way, especially for women to really understand what the biblical definition of love is, because God isn't just this ball of love. He has other attributes and he, people, I believe actually limit him whenever they just focus on that one attribute. There is no holiness. There is no, um, other aspect, like he's all powerful, omniscient, like he's all these other aspects, but people only focus on love. And that's like an imbalanced, shortchanged type of love. And you quoted first Corinthians. And one thing that I really enjoyed that you pointed out with that was love, real love rejoices in truth Mm. and not evil. And so you have to look at those two things. So what does the Bible say about evil? What does the Bible say about love? What are these two things? And this book is very antithetical to that. Mm. And I wrote down this one aspect to it uh, because, uh, and, and you pointed this out, how not even Jesus can love us mm. by her definition of by love. By her definition, yeah. Yes, I would love for you to kind of uh, talk more about that. I, I loved how you broke that down. Yeah, let me go to that chapter because it's really good to set up the context of this chapter. Okay, so in this section of the book, she's talking about love, right? That's kind of where she's giving her definition. And she talks about getting an email from a lady that she used to be in the same church with. And I'm assuming this is a more conservative type of church. And the woman basically said, can I ask you something? I, I know that you and Abby love each other so much. And I, I think it, this is in reference to the the nature of the relationship being same sex, right? And she says that, you know, it's really something, the love you have for each other. But at the same time, I still believe that gayness is wrong and I want to be able to love you unconditionally, but I'd have to abandon my beliefs. What am I supposed to do with this God conflict? And so Glennon responds to her and actually says, I felt really, you know, felt some empathy for her, but she wrote her back and said, first of all, thank you for knowing that you have a choice to make. She says, you can't say I love you, but she says, love has no buts. If you want to change me, you do not love me. If you feel warm toward me, but you also believe I'm going to burn in hell, you do not love me. And so she goes on to say, yeah, essentially you've got a choice. Thank you for being intellectually honest about that. But then I'm thinking about Jesus who talked about hell more than anyone, talked about judgment, talked about everlasting punishment. You know, whatever you want to say about the words he used for hell, he talked about everlasting punishment. I mean, it's just clear and, and you can only get that kind of Jesus that's without hell, if you completely get rid of revelation too. So, um, you know, if you look at Jesus, at least as Jesus is written about in the Bible, um, he loves and there are buts, Mm -hmm. you know, he loves everyone 
and part of his love expressing itself through his justice, because as we know, Melissa, God is not made up of all these different parts where like his love is like this part of him. And then his justice is this part of him. And then they'll just like this pie and he's got a justice slice and a love slice. Okay. He is he is he is perfectly holy 100% love and he's perfectly holy 100% justice those things are not in conflict they're part of the well part is you know it's hard to find language because there's yeah. really not language they're not parts they are fully holy integrated in the being of god yeah. and so um god loves people while he judges them and sentences them to hell right so it's that that exists and so for her to say you can't if you say you love me and you want to change me you don't love me well what did jesus come to do change us yes save us yes but change us and conform us into his image so according to her definition and here's what's interesting too it's so hypocritical and I, I don't say that from a place of condemnation toward her, but I mean, you know, if I was sitting in a room with her, I'd say, have you considered that mm. the way you've defined love means that you don't love me mm. because you're asking me to change my beliefs on something? According to your definition, you don't love me either. Now, at that point, I think she'd have to be intellectually honest enough to say, okay, I don't love you. Uh, or she would have to figure out a way to explain that because I, that, that to me seems pretty logically sound to say, if this is your definition, love has no buts, mm -hmm. then, and you, you shouldn't want to change me either. And she might even say, well, I don't want to change you, but that's not what I'm getting from the book, mm -hmm. right? I'm getting yes. that, that she believes and Roar talks like this a lot, uh, you know, not to conflate the two, but we'll move to Roar for a second. Yeah. Roar does this a lot in his book where he will characterize people who disagree with him and he does it in a really nice and congenial way, but he calls people <laughs> toxic. Yes. Uh, you know, he calls people, uh, he even uses the phrase traumatic brain injury to refer to people who believe in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, guys. Wow. You know, I mean, so if, if we define love that way, then it's very one-sided. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's very interesting, the double standards is that if you're going to hold yourself to your own standard, that means that you have to follow your own rules. So if that's what your love is, love is no buts, then you have to love people like that, whether you agree with them or not, which makes no sense because then you're saying, no, there's an objective basis for this. It's like this, this big ball of subjective mess, right? That yeah. you get into. And it reminds me of, uh, it is in second Corinthians, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about being unequally yoked. And a lot of people use this verse for marriage, which is true. You can use this, this verse for marriage, but it's more than that. He's saying that, and I find this to be a very new age thing. You know, it's, it's like, he's saying, what does darkness have to do with light? You can't mix the two. You, you can't have, um, righteousness along with unrighteousness you can't have idolatry along with this and that like you cannot mix the two it, and that what it reminded me of is uh you know those bougie coexist stickers on the back of priuses you know <laughs> some dude with a man bun you know he's you know giant the coexist sticker it's like that's what it is that's what it reminds me of to be unequally yoked you have this coexist sticker but what people don't realize is that it's one it's a huge contradiction because they all can't be equal and they all can't be true yeah and I wanted to ask you about this. I'm going to throw it back at you for a second to get your thoughts. Is that uh, before we got on, um, I believe it was through email or text. I can't remember, but I was asking you 
uh, about the her kind of leaving one cage for another. One thing I cannot help but escape thinking about with not just Glennon Doyle, but with anybody that believes in these things is it's almost like they're trapped now in this ideology. So here we are in this, this, I believe you made a video about this recently. I haven't watched it, but it's about this cultural moment that we're in with this transgender craze with, uh, you know, truth being fluid. Even if she doesn't believe in those things, because she has written a book like Untamed, that's strongly feministic, that's a, uh, uh, pro LGBTQ, it's almost like now she has to ascribe to this very problematic political ideology that's in our country right now. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, that it's almost like you sign your life away from one Mm. to another. And what do you think about that? Do you think I'm correct in that? Do you have anything to add about that? Yeah, that's very interesting. And this has happened to both Glennon and Rachel Hollis, mm. where they, they've they sort of surrendered themselves to the woke mob, essentially, mm-hmm. like saying, mm-hmm. we're going to speak for you. Mm-hmm. And they both have been, now Glennon has survived it. We'll see about Rachel. I'm not sure she's going to come back from her cancellation. Mm-hmm. But Glennon actually writes about it in the book when she was going to be giving a, a webinar on racial justice or something along with yes. a couple others. And all of a sudden, she writes about the feeling of getting text from friends like check social media check social media and essentially people were like saying you're a white woman you can't speak to this Mm -hmm. and you know you're a racist and she was like i was called a racist and it was very interesting being inside of her head as she walks the reader through her thinking Mm -hmm. because there wasn't it, it was the only way out for her was to agree yes exactly that's the only way out The only way out is to say, okay, I'm, I've ascribed to the worldview that people in the, the fringes, the, well, fringes isn't the right word, but minorities have a greater, um, access to truth because of their lived experience than I do. So I can't tell a person of color that, um, I think something different is true, at least in this sphere. Mm -hmm. So her only option was to admit she's a racist Mm-hmm. repent of not, you know, if, of, of not doing better and then educate herself and do better. That was her only option. And she survived it because she followed the rules. Yep. But it's just interesting. Now, Rachel Hollis didn't survive it, but as of now, maybe she will. But it's very interesting. Like you are at the mercy of the mob. Yes. When you surrender your ability to think for yourself when it comes to logic, the nature of truth, and all of those things that encompass that. Mm -hmm. And you're at the mercy of whoever has the most power to make whatever they say is true stick. Mm -hmm. Um, Oz Guinness talks about this. I, I won't get too deep into this, but you know, if you think about, there's just two streams. You either think objective truth exists and can be known, and everybody has the same access to truth as far as we have brains to think, and we can observe, and we can argue back and forth what we think is true about reality, but ultimately we're all agreeing reality exists. But then there's this other avenue where it's not about that. Like, it's not. It's just, it's whoever can get you to buy something, whoever, whatever they can make stick to the wall is what truth is, and you better get on board with it. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to get canceled or something else. Yes. Beautiful. You wrote that down beautifully. Yes, exactly. 
I, I, when I finished reading the book, I could not help but think about that. And that was just uh, that she was a racist. I, I think that is so interesting because she here she is talking about being free and wild. And I'm like, oh, honey, <laughs> not free like, at all. That's no. bondage, right? And, and that's the pleasure island feeling is you feel so good at first. Mm. You know, you feel like, yeah, I'm free on this and that. And like you're Twitter paid it for a little bit. But after a while, it, it fades. And that is what brings us to the cross is yeah. that ultimately everything is solved at the cross. The only reliability that we have really does lie in the perfection of who Jesus is. And mm. I'm wondering, do you have anything to add with that? This is the thing I think about when I go to conferences is that, you know, people bristle at when we talk about things like the wrath of God, mm. people bristle when we talk about God's holiness or we talk about concepts like sin. I was just recently at a conference where H.B. Charles Jr. was preaching and he was it was really funny because he set it up really big. But he was talking about the sufficiency of scripture and he mm. said, we we have to bring back these highly sophisticated theological words that we have forgotten and he's building it up and he goes one in particular the philosophical underpinnings of this highly sophisticated and complicated theological term we need to bring back it's called sin that was a great build up wasn't that good i mean he that did it way really better good. than i just did but the reason <laughs> we talk about those things is it's it gets so misunderstood and for mm. me it's just so obviously beautiful how it all ties together because everybody has wrath for sin yes. if a child is abused in front of your face don't you have wrath for that i have anger for that absolutely i want justice for that i mean the same people that are crying for for justice for other things they don't want god to be just mm -hmm. which is just a head scratcher for me i don't get it i mean you have an all-powerful being who is justice itself and yet you get mad about his plan to mm -hmm. manifest that justice. It, it's just, it doesn't occur. It, it just blows my mind. I mean, we have, we have people riding in the streets over certain things and there have been injustices, of course. I mean, we've, we've got some sin stains in, the, in our nation that I'm grieved over. Lots of us are grieved over. Yeah. And hopefully we're on a trajectory correcting a lot of those things. But the thing about the resistance to God's wrath and justice, which has to do with the perfection of Jesus, it's kind of leads all up to that, is that you have a God who sees all of that. And he's like, okay, I'm going to solve the problem. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to become God in flesh. Mm -hmm. I'm going to live the perfect life that none of you could have. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to take all of those sins upon myself that whoever wants it, whoever wants to repent of their sin and follow me, I will throughout your life, conform you to my image. And one day, there will be no more sin. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more death, all pain. It'll be gone. Mm -hmm. But you have to define justice my way because mm -hmm. he is. I mean, not. I'm not saying that me. I'm talking for God. I shouldn't yeah. do that. God <laughs> says <laughs> you have to define it God's way, mm -hmm. right? He is justice. There's not this arbitrary standard of justice outside of God that he has to live up to in order to be called just. Mm -hmm. He sets the standard. Mm -hmm. And anything that we do that falls short of that is is unjust. It's injustice. It's sin. It's evil. Yes. And, 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 and that's the beauty of the cross is that at the cross, love and justice perfectly meet. And then an opportunity is given for because there is wrath for sin, all mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. The difference is you can take it or Jesus can take it. 
Yes. When Jesus died on the cross, he drank the cup of God's wrath. Mm -hmm. And you can let that stand in for you or you can drink the cup of God's wrath. Preach now, it. <laughs> I mean, if we know we're sinners yeah. though, but here's the problem, Melissa, mm -hmm. if you think that you're basically a good person, mm -hmm. if you think that humans are basically good, um, I'm not a sinner. Don't, I shouldn't look at myself like a sinner. Yep. Just see how beautiful you are. Well, you are beautiful. God created you in his image and likeness, but you've distorted that image with sin. Mm -hmm. And justice requires that there's punishment for sin. We all know that deep down. We mm -hmm. all know that. But that's the beauty of the cross is that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. So you don't have to, but you can if you want to. Mm -hmm. You can drink that cup, but you don't have to. There's a rescue plan. There's an option for you. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach it. No, man, a go for it. Today. Preach it. I'm over here almost about speaking tongues, man. That was great. <laughs> you going to fan me like Monique does? <laughs> Am I going to fan you? Like, yeah, woo, she's go, black girl. church. She says you, she fans me from Center for <laughs> Biblical Unity, our friend Monique. Yeah, I love Monique. I'm actually um, going to Dallas next week to the reality conference, and I believe she's speaking there. Yeah, she'll be there. Awesome. I'm taking Jasmine with me. Nice. Yeah, and it's for middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it's going to be great because uh, she's at that age now where she's asking more questions and thinking more deeply about things. So I think it's great timing. Um, no, that was wonderfully said. Thank you. That was beautiful. And I think you hit the nail on the head, the aspect that it's almost like if you don't see your need for a savior, you think that you're too good. And I've always mm. said, even when I, I remember when I first left the new age, it's, it's, it was a weird hybrid of Christianity, which is bad theology. I needed good theology and apologetics is what I needed. I just didn't get it. And one of the things that floored me is that after I basically de deconstructed in a weird way, mm -hmm. but I reconstructed to kind of similar to your story. And one of the things that I noticed was the goodness of, of human beings in this belief is that you, mm. if you think you're too good, why would you think that you're going to need a savior? You're your own savior. And I think ending with the gospel is, is perfect. And is before we, we sign off, before we uh, tie this in a bow, I wanted to ask you, is there anything that you want to uh, give to my viewers that you think that they should know about this book, uh, about this movement or about this ideology? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've hoped to get in this conversation somewhere that I didn't really have a chance to. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so maybe this is a good, a good time That's is to cool. acknowledge how how beautiful of a deception this is. Mm, yes. There's so much, Melissa, really good wisdom in this book. Like, oh, yeah. I actually enjoyed some of it. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot of, like, we're, we've kind of done all the negative, but I want to acknowledge that part of the reason it's so sneaky, it's not like this is a dumb book. She gives some really amazing parenting advice in here. Mm -hmm. Like the cream cheese chapter was one of my favorite things I've ever read. She talks about it was her turn to bring the bagels and cream cheese for the soccer team that has the breakfast in the morning. She said no. And, and she, well, she gets a text from a mom that's like, um, last week, some of the kids didn't have the flavors of cream cheese that they liked. So they had to eat their bagels, cream cheese less. So could you get all five flavors from the bakery down the street, please? And Glennon makes a great point. She's like, you know what? Giving your kids five flavors of cream cheese is not going to make them better humans. It's going to make them jerks. She didn't say jerks. <laughs> 
She said a more colorful word. But the point, I mean, I laughed. I'm like, that's a great point. I mean, thank you, Glennon. I'm with you on that. So yeah. I want to acknowledge that because that's what can be so deceptive. Even in Rachel Hollis's book, there are moments of great depths of wisdom. She has been through some legit trauma in her life mm -hmm. and she writes about it. So I don't want to just cast all that aside and say, oh, this book is terrible. We're going to throw it in the trash. Um, no, there's th that's why it's so difficult to discern, I think, for mm -hmm. some people, because there are some really good stuff in both books. Mm -hmm. There's some very practical, well-spoken wisdom that's hard won from life experience and, and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I want to I want to acknowledge that that that's part of the appeal, I think, is that both of these women and Jen Hatmaker and others are very, very good at hitting the bullseye of where the average American woman is at in her heart and soul yes. and emotional realm. They get it. They get mm -hmm. what it's like to get that call. Hey, can you go pick up the five things of cream cheese? And you're like, no, thanks. I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, like, and that's the, because it's funny and they're really funny yeah. about it. And so they're, yeah, I get it too. I've, I've seen Jenna Hatmaker post where I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, me too. Like, you know, I get that. But we have to be so careful not to throw out our discernment because somebody's funny or because they hit something that we really relate with. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose that would be what I would leave readers with is that don't hear us just saying, oh, this book like 100% is evil. It'd be a lot easier to discern if it was 100% evil, right? Oh, there's yeah. there's yeah, some the devil stuff in there. Coming up in the, the devil doesn't look deceptive. Talk he, about he was, a bow. You said angel of light. That's yes. what part of the angel of the light part of it is about. And you, you mentioned discernment and that's really important too. It's like, how are you going to discern? You know, you have to prepare yourself to discern. And I really like how you laid all that out just now, because yes, there were aspects of the book, even other books that I read that I don't agree with. I mean, they're all over my shelf. There's an element where you can take away something from that and be okay in, in agreement with it. And I think that scares some people sometimes because they're so, they kind of pendulum where they're like, no, absolutely not. I don't want anything to do with that. But I don't know, maybe you agree with me on this or not. Feel free to disagree. My element of this- wrong. <laughs> That's what Richard Howe always does. He'll say, can I ask a question? He'll, he'll be like, can I ask a question? He'll be like, yes. And the second you start talking wrong. wrong. Yeah. But have you taken some of his classes? I took his, yeah, his intro to apologetic. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> his sense of humor. His brother has the same sense of humor. Dr. Uh, Thomas Howe, same thing. It's so funny. Whenever we're, say I'm listening to somebody like Joel Osteen, right? Or somebody very problematic, like Richard Rohr. I see them as people with feelings and a family. And no matter how much I disagree with them, they are still uh, in deserve, deserving of my prayers, mm. of my humanity. And I think that uh, I don't want us to lose that as the, as mm. the church where uh, we have this like pound them in the ground mentality sometimes. And I, I can't get on board with that a lot. I understand mm -hmm. calling out division, like false teaching and false teachers. We do that all the time. Um, and I think we need to be swift and, and, you know, non, no nonsense about it, but I also don't want to lose my humanity in the aspect where we can talk about Glennon Doyle and pray for her tonight, you know, that's right. And I yeah. appeal that to our viewers where anybody that we've talked about or brought up in this, uh, video, like if, if something were to happen to them tomorrow, I would legitimately cry. Yeah. I would be upset. Yeah. And I would ask that you all pray for them because uh, there's a power in that as well. Wherever you're praying for somebody that you disagree with, 
there's a spiritual lifeline where you have this empathy for them, but you, you also have these boundaries. And I think that there's something uh, spiritual about that. And I think there's something very biblical about that praying for, mm. if Jesus can pray for his enemies that killed him, I'm pretty sure we can pray for what, who we would consider to be even heretics or false teachers. What are your thoughts on that? Elisa? That's so good, Melissa. And that's something that I try to put in practice because in, in the mm. realm of work that I do, I'm kind of constantly reviewing progressive books, sort of calling right. out wrong doctrine and even having to name names and things like yeah. that. And one of the things that I've tried to really do consistently is to pray for all of the people that I'm calling out, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone in, I have this little hiking trail that I do, and I, I've even gone through that and just taken, okay, today I'm just going to pray for the progressive leaders that come to yeah. my mind, and I'll just start praying for people. And I think, um, so I think that uh, what that produces, and I'll just give a little personal anecdote sure. from yeah. that. Um, one of the, I would say the most, in my view, the most formidable thinker in the entire progressive Christian world was Rachel Held Evans. Mm, she was the yeah. most formidable, um, biblically literate, highly intelligent, uh, tremendously precise debater, mm -hmm. and um, just a formidable foe, <laughs> I should say. Um, uh, and I always, you know, I, I would pray for her, especially as I was writing another gospel. I would pray for all these people. And I had just been writing about her view on something. That's right. And when she very suddenly passed away mm -hmm. due to um, the, uh, I'm feeling emotional right now. Yeah, because I remember you writing I, about it. I was just writing about her when I heard the news and all I could think about was her children and her husband. Yeah. Yeah. And if we ever lose that for mm -hmm. the people, I mean, that's why we're doing this all. You know, I'm not writing um, about progressives necessarily to try to persuade somebody like a Rachel Hall Evans or a Rachel Hollis. I, they're, they're probably not going to be persuaded. I mean, the Holy Spirit can do anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to help other people discern. Mm -hmm. But if I ever lose that tenderness for the people that I'm that I'm writing about, then I've lost my way and it has to be from a place of love and nothing would bring me greater joy in the whole world would be to see someone like a Richard Rohr or a Jen Hatmaker turn around, repent, yeah, you know, start teaching the real gospel. I would rejoice. I mean, totally rejoice. So yeah, I, I mean, just that's a little personal anecdote to, to sort of demonstrate how important it is that we do because that's how you keep your heart soft yeah. is you pray for them. Yes. And for their children, pray for their children. That'll keep yes. your hearts off. Yes. Yes. And thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I think uh, you and I definitely see eye to eye on that. And that's something that I try to keep at the forefront of my mind as well. Um, thank you, Elisa, so much for coming on and talking with me about this uh, fire in our bellies. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff and these types, types of topics. Um, guys, I will leave all the fun stuff that you can find to enrich your learning about this topic in the description, including Elisa's channel, uh, a link to her book, uh, her podcast, all the fun things, her website. I highly suggest that you check out Elisa's uh, stuff as a resource. In my opinion, I believe that you are one of the greatest resources uh, about progressive Christianity. You articulate it well, and I highly recommend that you guys take advantage of those resources. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. I loved it. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, for sure.
Well, I'm so thankful to Melissa Doherty for this conversation today. Melissa and I are both students at Southern Evangelical Seminary, who is also a sponsor of this podcast. If you're interested in looking at higher level education, go to ses.edu slash Alisa. And for now, as we pursue Christ, let's remember to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.